Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Crime Watch Daily Podcast. A daily podcast on the latest serious crimes around the U.S. Now, here is your host, Dr. Carlos. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our second episode of Life on the Beat with Trooper James Casey. And I'm Dr. Carlos. Welcome, James. Welcome, Carlos. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. This is 75 degrees out today. So, you know. Uh, yeah, you're living up. <laughs> you're living the good love. We're going to see if our guest is enjoying that kind of weather because he's over in the <laughs> Chicago area. So we'll see how he's I'm enjoying sure. it. Folks, our guest is a police lieutenant. He works in the Chicago area. He's been in the force for 19 years, but the reason he's here is because he's also a negotiation expert and a negotiation instructor. He's even been on TED Talks. His name is Scott Tillema, and we're going to find out all about negotiations. Are we ready, James? I'm ready. All right. Welcome, sir. Officer Scott Tillema, welcome to the show. Hello, Dr. Carlos. James, how are you guys? I'm good, Scott. How are you doing? Doing great. Happy to be here with you. Thank you so much. You know what? I always, I always make sure I want to say thank you for your service as well. Absolutely. My pleasure. Absolutely. My pleasure. I, I appreciate you for it having also. me on. So, Scott, um, first tell us, I don't want to go too far back, but tell us a little bit about how you got involved in negotiations. How does that work? How does an officer it's, just it, go into it? Yeah, this, it's, it's an interesting field. My background uh, educationally is in behavioral science and forensic psychology. And as a uh, law enforcement guy, I thought that uh, a great way to apply my interest in people and what we do and how we think and how we can um, influence others would be uh, a, a real good fit in the field of police crisis and hostage negotiation. And up where I work, we have a, a regional SWAT team that serves um, five different counties, 1.8 million people, 60 jurisdictions. And uh, there was an opportunity to jump on that team as a crisis and hostage negotiator. And uh, I was lucky to be selected at a fairly young age. Got some great training for the FBI back in uh, 2007. I was active on the team for many years. And then I transitioned out of the team. And now I continue to teach negotiations, stay involved, uh, present that to police negotiators across the country. And Absolutely love it. It's a, it's a great field and uh, one of the most important skills that police officers need to have today. Absolutely. Yeah, Scott, and I know James and I have talked about this in other shows. Um, were you on the beat as well, I'm assuming? You were on the beat for part of your career? Yeah, I was on the street. I got hired in 2002. I was uh, on the street in patrol until 2009. I made detective in 2009 till 2014. Got promoted in 2014. Got promoted again in 2018. So now I hold the rank of lieutenant and uh, spend most of my time uh, sitting behind a desk uh, in the administrative side of the world now, which, uh, which is all right. It's a nice change of pace after being uh, operational for so many years. And, and now I'm teaching the new generation. My, my role is a training coordinator for my police department. So it's my pleasure to get involved with uh, especially these younger officers and, and really get hands on and teaching them how to be the police and how to keep themselves safe and how to keep themselves out of trouble. So I was going to ask was um, when you were on the street, I know James has, has learned a lot 
and he always shares his insight with us. Did that help you at all with the negotiations, interacting with these individuals on the street? Of course, of course, because everything we do is, is a negotiation. Everything we do and the skills that make for great negotiators make for great street cops. These are the guys that are able to talk to people and make sure that they're not having to get themselves into a use of force situation. They're the guys that are able to get a confession on a tough case. It's, it's the same set of skills where you're really connecting with somebody else. You're working to understand them. You build that rapport and they just start talking to you. You got to be a better listener than you are a, a great talker, really. Excellent. Let me ask you this. So take us through the beginning. What would you, in your, in your class, right? You got us as your captive audience here. What's the first thing you want everybody to know? I think that the, the first thing that I would say is actually doing uh, a negotiation or communicating with somebody under pressure is very, very different than just thinking about it or discussing it in a classroom. So we could, we, we could have a great knowledge of here's what we need to do and I know how this works. And, and I'm seeing this day in and day out working with police officers when we're doing these training scenarios is once you're under pressure, it becomes very different. And what you think you know becomes a little bit more difficult to access. Um, so it really is most helpful to have a flexible framework. So when I go into a negotiation or one of these crisis communication situations, I have um, kind of a pattern I can fall back on saying um, that uh, from my approach to negotiations, I kind of take a four principle approach and, and we can do an entire week long class just around four principles of understanding, timing, delivery, and respect. And that the way that I see these, these four principles, they work together and we're just gonna keep doing this round and round, which builds a bond with somebody. And once we have a bond, then we can get influence. So rather than just getting right into, hey, drop the knife, put the gun down, let this person go, and trying to get from where we are to get a, a influence or behavioral change, my focus is really on the goal is build a bond. Let's build a bond with somebody and connect with them. Then we get the influence we're looking for. Interesting stuff. Let me ask you this, um, Scott, if I call you Scott, I didn't ask you about that. Please, okay. yes, please. Um, substance abuse, does that become a problem when you're trying to negotiate if somebody's inebriated or, or high on drugs? Does that make it more complicated for you? Of, of course, because um, the FBI, I, I believe it's FBI that teaches, they, they look at um, things like a teeter-totter and where emotions are really, really high, um, rationality is really, really low. Um, and, and when you're not very rational, you, you do things that don't make a lot of sense. And, uh, and we try to even that out a little bit and bring that rationality back up. And you get somebody who's under the influence and, and, and they're, uh, they're high on drugs, whatever it is, uh, they're drunk. Um, they're not able to be a very rational person and they're not able to make really good decisions. And as clear as we can lay it out for them, um, it, it still doesn't make a lot of sense. But truly, I think that now in 2021, maybe we need to move away from that a little bit because we're getting past the, um, if we can get everybody to be very reasonable and very, very logical, then they'll make good decisions. I think that's becoming tough because we all um, see, see the truth very differently. We, we can be seeing facts in front of us and we have two different groups that can't even agree that this is a fact, that this is in, in actuality what we're looking at. So I think that great negotiators are actually very, very good at dealing with emotions. And so the people that, that are under the influence, you kind of work with them emotionally rather than trying to logic and reason with them. Interesting. 
Interesting. Got anything, James? Do you have a question? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so for those for those who don't know, when would you guys? When would a negotiator be called out for to a scene? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And uh, even though the the title for most police negotiators is a hostage negotiator. Truly, the work that we do is much more crisis negotiation. Probably 90% of, of the calls for service are crisis negotiation, meaning a single person that we're talking with rather than a person holding someone against their will. And this could be um, maybe a suicidal subject. And, and we're seeing a lot more mental health um, calls for service these days with everyone um, you know, being, being locked in with COVID, um, going through financial crisis. There's a lot of stress right now. So we see a lot of people who are stressed. Uh, so you could be dealing with a, a suicidal person or in a SWAT context, maybe like an armed barricaded person, someone who's subject to arrest, but they're refusing to come out of the house, the room, the business. And then they bring in uh, a trained negotiator to, to try to work that out. But I would say most of the negotiations now are done by your everyday street cops. The officers on the street are very good at um, using these skills and negotiating these situations well before a SWAT team is called and a professional negotiator is brought in. And really, that's one of my, my goals and missions is to reach out to rank and file police officers, the people who are doing this every day. They don't have to be the, these professionally trained negotiators, but the guys who need this most that are going to be doing this all the time. But really, I when agree. it elevates into that arm barricade, the, the suicidal person, the life or death situations that the, uh, that the officers on the street um, are struggling to work through, then we'll get the call from, for a, a SWAT team or a negotiation team. Sure. And, and you know what? I fully agree with you. I, the younger officers that I worked with, I used to tell them communication is the key to everything. You can talk your way yeah. out of a lot of stuff, you know, and you can also talk yourself, you know, you can find out stuff about people. So I fully agree with you. It's such an important skill and, and it's useful in so many areas. And especially now when I think one of the officer's biggest fears is I'm going to be the next YouTube superstar, you know, against my will. Uh, every time the officer gets out of the car, every time they step into public, they are surrounded by people with their cameras on. They could be walking into Taco Bell to get some tacos and someone's pulling out a camera to see what's going on. They think that they're going to have the next footage for CNN when really I'm just stopping in to grab a lunch. And I can't, I can't tell you the number of times I stopped cars. And as I walked up, I would have a passenger filming me and I'd always look in and wave to them, you know, and let them know I didn't care if you film me, I, you know? Right. I, I think that if, if we do our jobs well and professionally and we do it the way we're supposed to do and treat people fairly and with respect, I would want to be filmed. I would want everyone yeah. to see it because I think now police have a, a credibility issue and I can testify or I can say that publicly and black may not believe me. There may even be video footage and they may still not even believe that. But I think that it's always going to be on our side if we're good people Absolutely. doing a good thing. Yeah. Excellent. And I don't know, Scott, if you, if you know, Trooper Casey was actually on Live PD for about a season. So awesome. he was followed a lot by <laughs> cameras. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the real cameras. Those are the pros. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, Scott, we talked a little bit before the show about a concept that um, I'm familiar with because you know my back, my background is being uh, trained in psychology as a counselor. Mm -hmm. I switched over to forensic psych consulting, but active listening. You know, in yeah. our profession, if a psychologist isn't listening to you, he's not going to last very long, or she. Right. Um, so, what is active listening? It's it's something that that sometimes we're not very good at. 
there's uh, the FBI teaches eight skills of active listening, or, or pretty much anyone teaches eight skills of active listening. And it's not a, a real big secret. It's, it's something that hostage negotiators for decades um, have been trained on. And, uh, and, and it's certain um, techniques that you can use under pressure. And when I'm teaching young officers, we talk about de-escalation, de-escalation tactics. But when I really push them, okay, so what are we talking about? What, what are you going to turn to and use as a de-escalation tactic? A lot of them struggle. They may know, they, they may know it inherently. They, they can just do it. But to say, I'm putting a, a name to what I'm doing, sometimes we struggle with that. And, and there's eight skills. And I think um, of these, I mean, it could be, uh, mirroring and um, paraphrasing and summarizing and, and kind of the, the basics of communication. But I think that the two most important skills within active listening, uh, first of all, is asking open-ended questions to be um, very curious about someone else's situation. So instead of rather jumping in to solve the problem, which we naturally do as veteran police officers, we're just trying to fix the situation. Let's be a little bit curious about this and try to understand why does this person want what they want? So once we get away from the position and we get to the interest, it's going to open up a whole, um, a whole variety of opportunities for me to work through this situation. So asking good questions and being curious is a great start. And then I think emotion labeling is got to be the, the second most important or, or tied for the first most important thing. And when we talk about emotion labeling, so often in communication, we're trying to respond to what's being said um, rather than talking to the emotion behind what's driving that message. So you can say to me whatever you want, and we're going to get really stuck if I'm trying to respond or if I'm trying to problem solve or trying to answer your question. But if instead we try to get to the emotion, hey, Dr. Carlos, you seem really angry. You seem really frustrated by this. Hey, it sounds like this makes you sad. So if we start talking to the emotion, now we're going to connect with that person. So we're not going to get into a war of words. We're going to connect more deeply. And they're going to say, hey, you're, now you're getting me. Now you're understanding my situation. And I don't have to tell them, okay, I understand. I understand. Let's, let's show them that we understand by giving them back. Now we're reflecting back what they're saying, but we're giving them that emotion. Scott, you did something too, if I can highlight it and, and tell me if I'm wrong or not, but your intonation changed. Um, does that go along with it? So if I'm talking really angry, oh, yeah. I'm tired of you, Scott, are you going to try to drop down the intonation to try to bring me down? Or are you going to match it and then bring me down? Oh, you have to. So one of my concepts of delivery, it's, it's almost just as important to think about how you say what you say rather than the content of the message itself. And when I'm teaching people about their delivery and, and really in a high level crisis negotiation, I'm going to have a coach with me. So you're going to be right across from me and everything we do, you're going to be able to give me real time, immediate feedback about me, about how I'm doing as a negotiator. And I'm looking for five different areas. I want feedback in five areas, the rate, the rhythm, the pressure, the volume, and the tone. And these are the five areas that we're going to manipulate in my delivery to change the emotion, to change your feeling, to change your perception of me and us and our relationship. And if I'm talking too quickly, it, it really uh, brings a feeling of distrust. Why is he talking so quick? He's trying to get something by me. So if we just slow it down a little bit, we become a little bit more authoritative and a little bit more believable. Um, if we get into a good rhythm, this is just like in psychology, I'm trying to create a comfort level for the person I'm talking to, that you don't have to worry, I'm going to be screaming at you, or I'm going to be falling asleep, we're going to be right in a certain area. So you can have that psychological comfort that 
I can open up a little bit and I'm not going to get screamed at. He's not going to be judging me or yelling at me. So we have a good rhythm. Um, the pressure of what we say, a lot of the times when we get under stress, we start, our, our words become really, really pressured and we don't recognize it. And when we hear someone's pressured speech, our anxiety starts to go up because why would you be so pressured if there wasn't a, a reason to be concerned? So we have the coach kind of talk to the negotiator, hey, dial it back, take the pressure off of what you're saying. So we've got rate, rhythm, pressure, and the volume. When people want to be heard, we get loud. I'm going to get loud to try to command your attention. And I say, hey, let's try it a little bit differently. When I want you to hear what I'm saying, I want to get soft. So if I take it down, physically, you need to work harder just to listen to me and hear me. That's going to trick your brain into thinking, hey, this must be really important because now I'm kind of leaning in and I'm listening hard. And I wouldn't be doing that if this wasn't really important. And then the last piece, your tone, we all know when someone is speaking to us in a way that it's condescending or they're talking down to us. So we got to make sure that we have this tone correct, the, in, the inflections, the intonation, the pauses, because the three of us here, we could all have the script to save the hostage and, and, and get this situation and resolve peacefully, but we're each going to say it a little bit differently. So when we talk about delivery, I like that you picked up on that. That's really great insight because we are going to use our delivery to kind of manipulate how this person is feeling their emotion based on how we deliver what we say. That's interesting. I just have a, so if some, so if you're negotiating with somebody and they're screaming, so you start talking down or lower. So they'll kind of, yeah. that's, that's interesting. That's cool. Yeah. We, we naturally mirror each other that, that if you're getting excited, I'm getting excited. If you're talking fast, I'm talking fast mm. and it's, and it's really unnatural to do. And anyone who's got kids at home, start practicing on your kids because my kids <laughs> can crack me up like nobody else, but there, there's a great opportunity to practice. They're getting loud. They're getting emotional. That's my chance to calm down. Yeah. Go a little bit more slowly and a little bit more quietly and see how long they, it takes before they start mirroring what I'm doing rather than allowing myself to get emotionally jacked up and, and getting on their level. Fascinating stuff. Let me ask you this. Um, there's going to be maybe the scenarios where you actually do. By the way, folks, again, this is Scott. Tell them, uh, Scott, do you have a website we can let everybody know to go to or? It's not a real website. I, I'd much rather you connect with me on LinkedIn, but I do have a website, scotttillema.com. My first name, my last name.com. Um, I'm a professional speaker. I speak uh, both in police and business world on the topics of negotiation. That's one way to connect, but I'm very active on LinkedIn. That's one of my very few social media platforms, and I'm very happy to connect with your audience uh, uh, on LinkedIn. Perfect. Scott, is it easier or harder? Because I know some of the times negotiators would do it over the phone because of the scenario, right? The person's in the house, you can't get in there. Or is it easier for you to actually see them and look at the body language that's happening in front of you? Absolutely easier to see them. And when I started um, back in 2007, which is not even that long ago, um, there was really no training or consideration to say, we need to look at the full 3D communication, meaning I want to study facial expressions, micro expressions, gestures, body language. And now when I teach negotiation on um, seeking first to understand, it's not just asking good questions and trying to understand what they're saying, but we're studying the whole picture. And it brings in a whole skill set that we were never trained on just 15 years ago, that how many negotiators are trained in body language? I mean, there's great experts out there. Joe Navarro, a great body language expert who studies facial expressions. Uh, Paul Ekman, David Matsumoto, there's, there's great experts out there. And we need to get these skills because I want 
all the information I can to make a good decision on, hey, what's going on with this person? What are they thinking and what's going to happen next? Do we need to be concerned that there's going to be a, a risk of violence coming? Or am I being, uh, is there a deception there? Is there a disconnect between what I'm seeing in body language and facial expressions and gestures versus what I'm being told? And if we have some deception here, we need to figure out, all right, what are we being lied to about and why? And I think these are the areas that are particularly interesting to people in the business world doing big time monetary negotiations. Hey, you can, you can make sure you're not losing a ton of money if you brush up on some of these skills and get an understanding of what you're seeing when you're connecting with somebody else. Great advice. I want to take it for a can, James. I was, was going to ask him too about interpretation. Um, at least in, in my area, we hear the person talking and then we try to, let me hear what you're saying is this. So if I'm right, you mean this. Do you do that at all to get clarification for yourself? Yeah, of course. And I think this is the basis of active listening skills. And, and crisis and hostage negotiation became a thing in the U.S. Uh, in the 70s. And I think prior to that, this skill set actually came from counseling psychology. I mean, this, this, everybody in, in counseling psychology should be intimately familiar with these skill set because I think that's originally where the police negotiators stole this from and started adapting this to use in crisis communication. Interesting. Um, I know when you do your training, just like for us, again, I keep comparing it, but anyway, um, you can't win them all. You're not going to be able to help everybody. Right. What do you tell your, your students if negotiation goes wrong? If the person unfortunately takes their life or takes somebody else's life or whatever, it doesn't work out the way you want it. Yeah. And, and that's happened. I've, I've been um, on those scenes and, and part of the team when that, when that's happened, um, when, when people have been killed, uh, when people have shot themselves and, and, and it becomes real serious real quick when, um, we're, we're checked back into reality and say, you know, this isn't a game. We're not negotiating over the price of a car. If we don't get this, you know, somebody's going to be killed. So, um, you know, when people first come into negotiations, all right, yeah, we're saving lives. Okay, that's silly. No, you know, once you do it once for real, you know, man, this is high level communication. You need to be very, very good at this. And I, I think a big message for them is ultimately, we're going to do our best to influence people, to persuade them to make a good decision. Um, but we, the police, we can control what we're doing on this side of it. But they make their decision on the other side of that. We don't have control over the decisions that they make that influence the outcome of this negotiation. So as skilled and educated and experienced as we might be, ultimately, the other person makes that decision. We don't make that decision. I have a couple more questions, James, but I'm not sure if you want to jump in. No, go ahead. No, I'm, go ahead. I'll ask okay. after. Oh, okay. Um, I'll leave one for the end. I think it's going to be a fun question. <laughs> one of them, uh, do you believe in the seven yes rule? Remember that? If you get them to say yes seven times, you'll, you'll get what yeah, you that, want. That we, that we start small and we build and ultimately they say yes. I think this goes to Robert Cialdini's principle of influence of commitment and consistency that we're going to get them to commit and we're going to consistently say yes because we said yes to this little thing. I think people who are aware of themselves um, this is probably not going to work because we're, we're always on the defensive. We're always, we've got our radar up and we're looking for this. So when I, when someone starts leading me down the path, all right, you'd like to buy this new car, right? Yes. 
and you like it to be this model, yes, and, and, and get all these, you know where we're going. Um, so ultimately, if I'm in a position or I have a, a closely held belief, you're not going to be able to trick me into saying, yes, let's do this, um, because you've got me in a series of comfortable yes responses. Or the dangerous part is, if you do get a yes, it's not going to be a meaningful yes, and that becomes a problem because yes is nothing without the how. If you can't tell me how we're going to do that or have the willpower to implement and follow through on my yes commitment, it's really not a yes commitment. This is me saying yes to make Dr. Carlos go away. So I'm just going to go along and say yes, and it doesn't mean anything. So I would much rather get you to fully commit to this idea rather than play some trickery technique of, all right, we're getting them, we're getting them. Ah, we got them. Yes. But I need you to follow through. And if somebody doesn't follow through with this, it's no good. And I've wasted my time. So I would rather really get to know you, understand your situation and learn how I can bring you value, whether it be help get you out of this situation or, or in a business negotiation, Hey, maybe I can get you this, or you need this situation. Now we're building value and getting you, you where you really want to go. And with a yes commitment, now we're moving forward together as a team to really make progress and not just getting me to go away. Excellent. James, take it away, my friend. All right. <clears throat> my question to you, I have two. The first one would be for a younger officer saying, mm -hmm. I want to become one. What would be your advice to becoming a negotiator? To become a negotiator or to become an officer? No, to be become a negotiator if they're already yeah. an officer. Yeah. Yeah, terrific. Um, just be very, very active as a young officer. I think that there's a, a mindset in 2021 policing that, hey, I really need to do nothing just to get by in my career and, and to stay out of trouble. Um, I would much rather our new officers go out and be active and be talking to people. And that doesn't always have to mean law enforcement activity, making 25 traffic stops, a shift and 10 arrests. That could really just be um, the basics of community policing. Let's go and walk into the business and say hello to the business owner and, and chat. Hey, my name is Scott. It's great to meet you. I work in your part of town. I work uh, the afternoon shift. And, um, you know, if you ever need anything, here's my card. Here's my number. Please give me a call and build those relationships because you have to start getting comfortable talking to a variety of people. And that means people different than you. And one of the big problems that we have is um, we're comfortable with people like ourselves. And if we can start talking to a diversity of people, and that could be race, age, gender, religion, politics, we have to really get good at connecting with people who are very, very different from us. And our society right now, we are becoming so bad at listening to other points of view that it's, it's, it's almost culture that we just, all right, we're going to cancel this guy. We don't need to listen to him because he's different than us. So to have a skill to say, you know what? Um, you're very, very different than me without saying that, sure. um, but be able to say, you know what, that's interesting. Tell me more. You know, that's interesting. Why would you say that? Or, or that's interesting. Why would you ask that? We're being compassionate. We're um, working hard to understand and appreciate them. We're respecting them by listening to them and we're asking them good questions. And at the Absolutely. end of the day, that doesn't mean I have to change my beliefs, yeah. um, but how validating to any person to say, hey, I'm interested in your work, Trooper, I'd love to hear about your time on the street and your time on the job. What, what more respectful thing to say than that? And I don't need to be um, adding anything to the conversation. I just want to elicit information. So now we have the young officer 
being good at building relationships, building a bond with somebody, getting information from somebody, asking good questions. And if you're able to connect with all these people in all these different situations, then it's going to be very, very natural when we raise the stakes a little bit. Hey, somebody's life is on the line. Just keep doing your thing. Build a bond with this person. Hey, my name is Scott. Great to meet you. You give them a smile. You give them a handshake or, or however it might be. And we build that bond, build that connection. I think that's the most important skill if you want to be successful in today's law enforcement. I agree with you. Um, the other thing I was going to say, I used to always tell the, <clears throat> excuse me, I, my throat's been bothering me today. Um, I used to tell the young, when I used to speak in the academy, I used to always tell them, instead of listening to the radio, your, you know, not the police radio, but your radio radio, turn it down and talk with the person. You will learn so much about, you know, I never knew about drug dealing. I wasn't in drug unit, but I knew prices and all that just from talking with people. But the other question I have, and this is something I've always wondered, have you ever had anybody contact you that you've helped in the past, you know, by, you know down the road? Yeah, and, and it's a, a really, really good feeling. Um, and you, and usually it's, um, it's police officers, somebody who, um, mm -hmm. I, I talked with or, or taught or had a class with, or was in one of my seminars. Uh, but from time to time, I'll, I'll get a follow-up from somebody that I connected with. And, um, and those go a long way for all the negative feedback that we get in law enforcement and, and all the criticism. And, uh, it, it, it's kind of tough to deal with from time to time. Um, you'll get something from somebody or, um, uh, one, one that came to mind immediately, uh, a mother who followed up with me a long time afterwards who say, Hey, um, you helped out my son in, in this particular situation. And to get that follow-up to know, um, it's a reminder that we, we forget this, that our interactions with people have lifetime impacts on those we deal with. And it might just be because it might be the only time they're ever, um, interacting with a police officer. Sure. Or we are the face of government for the city, county, state, whoever we represent. And for us, it's just another, it's just another interaction. Um, I, I've had plenty of negotiations that, that I don't speak about, probably just because I don't remember them. I don't remember mm -hmm. the details. Um, but for this person, this is the significant moment in their life that sends them in this direction or that direction. And they are going to remember um, the interaction with us. And, and that's another big teaching point for me to say, People aren't going to remember what you said, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. They're going to remember that how they experienced you. So it's beyond language. It's how we create that emotion within them and that connection. And that connection for us might be a little bit superficial. It might have a purpose to it. But for them, they feel, hey, I have somebody maybe for the first time in their life. This person actually cares about me for the first time in my life. This person's actually listening to me. I'm not being yeah. dismissed. I'm not being hashtag canceled, whatever it might be. This yeah. is the first, the only person I've ever dealt with that took the time to listen to me and, and care about me and my well-being. So we can't underestimate or, or overestimate how important that is in the work that we do and how significant, even years after the fact, that our interaction could be, even when we might not realize it at the time. Absolutely. Great stuff. I, mean, I remember that, I know you guys have probably seen that video that was circulating on social media. I think it was the officer in Ohio. Uh, when the, when the, the young man, I think he's in his 20s, surprised him and he was the boy who was six years old who was drowning that he saved. And uh, he cool. wanted to thank him for it. And you know, obviously the, the officer cried and everything is, oh yeah. He might've been like five actually, I think when he saved him drowning in the pool and the boy came looking for him now as a man. 
Uh, Scott, my last question for you. Um, hostage negotiator, the movie negotiator, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> yeah. How do you think? Is it helpful? Not helpful? I, I think that that movie and every other movie really shows the negotiator as as the hero. They're the single entity hero. And really, that's that's never the case. I, I have never done a negotiation or been part of a negotiation where we have this one guy who is the hero above all else. It takes a team and we really structure it that way to make sure it's unfair because our goal is to get everybody out safely and peacefully resolve a situation. So if I'm on the phone in a police negotiation situation, it's not me, Samuel L. Jackson, parading around yeah. or Chris Sabian driving in a car 85 miles an hour to the scene doing the negotiation. Um, <laughs> it's really much a, a much more calm, controlled environment. I'm probably removed from the scene quite a bit and in a physically safe location so I can focus on my work. And I've got a coach working with me. I've got a team lead. I've got a scribe who's I'm probably surrounded by whiteboards in a room. So I got somebody who's jotting down a ton of information. So it's immediately accessible to me. I've got people working intelligence, digging on social media. I got negotiators conducting interviews with important parties who might have information who's helpful. So I'm surrounded by a team that's putting all of this information together. They're coaching me. They're listening. They're giving me information, getting information because we want to work together to get a peaceful resolution. And sometimes it takes eight of us. And on its face, it's just one guy talking on the phone to somebody in crisis. And it might be very calm and controlled, but, but no police negotiator right now is working by themselves. And if they are, I, I hope their department gets them some help that they need so they can be the most effective they can be. So sometimes real life isn't quite like the movies. Well, I have one question. Let me follow up on that. Um, Please. Dallas SWAT. It, that show that used to be on TV, I, the, fr frequently they would have hostage negotiations. And so if you got called to a scene, would you be set up in like a command van away from the scene? And, or, or how would that work, I guess? Yeah, you, usually we're, we're nearby because um, <laughs> maybe not more than maybe two or three blocks away. We need to be nearby because there's been a, a number of occasions where I've uh, gone forward to do forward negotiations face to face or voice to voice for whatever reason, if we, if we're, if we need to have a negotiator up. And, and I think that's why um, I, I like Dr. Carlo's question earlier about studying body language and gestures sure. and facial expressions, because back then it was a very dangerous thing to do face-to-face -face negotiation. And now we can do just like we're doing now. We're in different parts of the country and we're face-to-face -face just as we were. Um, so maybe the need right now isn't um, as urgent to be close to the scene, but we're right there because... Um, you have a tactical side, you have the negotiation side, you have command, and everybody's kind of working together so we can get this situation resolved. So you, so you need to be in close proximity to the decision makers and, and, and to the tactical team, because there, there's a whole lot that goes into these, uh, the, these police negotiations. Absolutely. Well, awesome stuff. I don't know. That's it for me, James. I don't know if you have anything else. No, no, I appreciate it. I learned a lot. I learned yes. a lot. Scott, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, you guys, stuff. it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation to join you. Thanks, Scott. Once it's again, nice to meet you, too. Yeah, once again, folks, Scott Telema, find him on LinkedIn, Scott, T-I-L-L-E-M-A, if I got that right. So you definitely look it. him up on LinkedIn yeah. and give him a, a buzz, I guess. <laughs> Contact him <laughs> if you need any more information. All departments out there listening. Again, James, another great show. Absolutely. I look forward to our next one. A lot of fun stuff.
Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Remember to share and subscribe to support our podcast. Thanks again, Scott. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot. See you, guys. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.